The sermon you are about to hear was given at Pillar Bible Fellowship in Hood River, Oregon. Pillar Bible Fellowship exists to glorify God by knowing Christ more fully and making Christ more fully known. Email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org. You can find more information about Pillar Bible Fellowship online at www.pillarhoodriver.org. Please enjoy the podcast. Good morning, church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as your, your church has gathered, we have come expectantly. We are in the time of Advent where we celebrate the coming of Christ, our King. The first coming, how glorious it was. Our whole lives have been changed by what you've done through Christ. And our, our expectation is that he will come again. And we are being prepared for that time. We truly are your witnesses, Lord. And we ask that today as we spend time in your word, that we would be built up in our ability to love more completely, to show the love of Christ, that we stand upon the love of Christ as our foundation. Do that work here, God. That is our prayer. May we be able to go from here ready and able to proclaim the good news of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Please have a seat. I'd like to start out this morning by just saying how much I love each and every one of you. I truly love each and every one of you. It is a, it's a special privilege to be able to share as, as a member of the body of Christ in God's family with each and every one of you. And this is only possible, and we know it's possible, because Christ is the author of love, and he has come to be our our king. And I'm continually amazed that God would see it fit to put us together to be his body. He is our head, our king, and yet he says we are his body. And he grants us this privilege to live an empowered life that is lives empowered by the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I I know I'm not alone in this affection. I know I'm not alone when I speak of this affection and this love. But I also know, and I think most of us would admit to, that there's a spectrum of where people are on this, this affection for one another in the body of Christ. Some of you present here today know it's good for you to be a part of the church, to be present with the church At least you're being told it's good, and so you're here. Or you've convinced yourself that there is enough good in it that you have come. And and because of that, you act in loving ways. Others of you are so dedicated to building up the church. You have so given yourself over to the love of the church that it's unmistakable. We can see it. Your lives show that you love the church. Your whole lives are, are changed by your love for Christ, and the rest of us know it. And no matter where each of us are on the spectrum, if you have been chosen by Christ, 
which is what it means to be a part of his assemblies. You've been chosen before the foundation of the world. He has chosen you. That's how you become a member of the church, is by Christ's work. If Christ has chosen you, then you are on this spectrum somewhere. And God has a plan for you. He wants to use you collectively as the church body to show the world his love. That's his design. And each of us have a vital role to play in that mission. Do you believe that you are playing a vital role in the mission of God by being a member of his church? Just think of God's design that I'm mentioning here as we look at Ephesians. We have seen already in the book of Ephesians that we, like the Ephesians, were being built together as a holy temple, a place where God would dwell, built together, a body, a dwelling place, each member being necessary, each member being necessary, each being vital to the design of God's working. And we experience it. We experience that, don't we? We know we belong. We know we are loved. We know we're useful. And we know that God is glorified. But as I say this, and as most of you would readily acknowledge and agree with me, we also know that we don't dwell in this manner of being all the time. We don't do this well perfectly all the time. We don't. In fact, we can be quite disconnected and disjointed, even dysfunctional at times as a family. This is counter to what Jesus desires for his body. Therefore, spiritually, it's a dangerous place to be. And unfortunately, in in what I would coin as stable times, stable times, the disconnected nature of Christ's body, the church, is somewhat covered over. There's usually a veneer placed over the body of Christ. There's a thin covering that can be cleaned up and look somewhat presentable. We know that it's not completely right, but in stable times, when we're not being buffeted on all sides, we can just sort of get by acknowledging that that's the way it is. Because in stable times, most of us have jobs, In stable times, most of us have the ability to cover our bills. In stable times, most of us have adequate housing. And the community in stable times generally lets us gather and do what faith communities like to do and and worship God in peace. That's in stable times. We also get the privilege of engaging in the economic system. We can buy and sell things. We can have a a somewhat normal way of being. And that's why the disjointed nature of the body of Christ in stable times doesn't get the attention, doesn't get the deep dive that it really needs. We simply put off that deep heart investigation that, that would be needed, that which would reveal the sins that keep us apart. The root cause of our lack of adhesion is a holding on to sin. That lack of adhesion that keeps us from being 
more closely fit together with our brothers and sisters in Christ, those who God has put together to be a part of his body. And I believe that even just a cursory heart investigation would reveal that there's a lack of that closeness, that bonding that God would want for us to have, that being knit together. And it's very counter to what we would expect of a structure that Christ is building. Christ, the perfect builder. He knew about building as he walked as a man. He knows perfectly about building his church. But this is the common occurrence in stable times. If you take stock of all that is happening right now in the world, in the nation, in the the biggest city not too far from where we are or up and down this valley, would we be able to say that this is a, a stable time? Has 2020 highlighted a a fundamental stability to the world as we know it? Or has it pointed to a faltering world system? Church, if you would generally agree that in stable times, we don't take a very close look at the sin that's present within the church, in Christ's body, and so therefore we We live somewhat artificially. That's what happens in stable times. So what should we think of what we do as a church in an unstable time? How should we embrace an unstable time? What would that be like? As Paul was writing to the Ephesian church, what type of environment were they in? What type of environment were the Ephesians in? Was it stable or unstable? Let me remind you that in the area of early Christianity, that which we have recorded in the New Testament was under Roman rule. Now, there was some sort of stability there because there was an empire, but it was not stable. It was not stable. Rome dominated. Rome dominated with ultimate authority. And in that system... They instituted emperor worship. Throughout the Roman world, there was rampant pagan worship, and sexual immorality was widespread. There was complete disregard for the well-being of children. And the brutal disrespect of persons based off of their ethnic background or their religious beliefs was acceptable. That was the world that the Ephesian church was in. And I would say that that was very unstable. Unstable time. The Roman Empire did not have its foundation set on solid ground. And it was there and in that time and in that place where God used his servant Paul to encourage the saints. And they were not to fall apart. They were in an unstable time, and they were not to abandon Christianity. On the contrary, it was in the unstable time that they were to find their true foundation. It was in such a time as that they were told to stand firmly upon it. And in this passage before us today, God's word reveals that love is what we stand firmly upon. 
in the turmoil of a faltering world system. Love is what we stand firmly upon in the turmoil of a faltering world system. Our foundation is love. And as we go through this recorded prayer and doxology of Paul's, in verses 14 through 21, we're going to see what Paul's prayer revealed, what Paul prayed for. And we're going to take that on board as a church, and we're going to say, that's right, our prayers do give a window into our hearts and what our foundation is. And we are going to be formed by this passage. We're going to look at it in three sections, and I'm going to begin with the reason for prayer, the reason for prayer, verses 14 and 15. And the reason for prayer initially is to acknowledge dependence, acknowledge dependence. In verse 14, we we read, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Paul takes this very posture of humility and then directs his prayer. These actions... These actions acknowledge Paul's dependence upon the Heavenly Father. Here, the apostle takes this posture of of kneeling as he goes to pray. And in many Christian traditions, certain postures are, are popular for a while. They come and go. Postures are encouraged, and they can morph over time. And if we just look at the scriptures and see the different postures there, we see kneeling, as we've just recognized here in this passage, but we also see people prostrating themselves on the ground and praying, people praying standing and sitting, all types of of prayer postures. Do you have a preferred posture that you take when you go before the Father in prayer? Whatever it might be, All postures need to be used in a manner that acknowledge our dependence upon the Father. That's what they should be doing. Do you use your prayer posture in this way to show that you are dependent upon the Father? For instance, here, a lot of times we close our eyes. We close our eyes. Why? Why do we close our eyes? but because we we acknowledge we cannot see apart from what God reveals to us spiritually. We desire spiritual sight, so we close our eyes. We close our eyes, and sometimes we encourage our kids to close our eyes to help block out distractions so that we can focus more fully on who we are praying to, who we are dependent upon. We want that singular devotion. We bow our head out of reverence. For the power of God. We know he is sovereign, so we we bow before him. We kneel down like Paul to acknowledge our humble position. We take on that humble posture, showing that we are dependent upon God. But any posture that we take, any posture that you take in prayer, needs to show that, that you are dependent upon the Heavenly Father to receive your prayer. The other reason for prayer is to direct our affections. We we want our prayers to direct our affections. And in verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, which is what we've looked at, 
And this is necessary for our prayers to be directed in the right place, to the Father. Paul was praying to the Father. And we have Jesus' model prayer where he also said, pray to the Father, to the Father. Our Father in heaven, hallowed, hallowed be your name. This is how Paul prays. This is how we were instructed to pray. This is how the disciples were were instructed to pray. Continuing on in verse 15, we read, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. In verse 15, the implication here is that every family, every family, every family present here, every family present on the face of the planet, every line has had its origin And they can be traced to one creator, one father. The first man and woman were made by the heavenly father. And here I allude to Genesis, but very significant to our future when we read the last book of the Bible is is Revelation. And in Revelation, names are important. There are books that are opened that we read about in Revelation. And before the foundation of the world, those who who God has chosen are written there. You are named. And God knows you. And we we pray to him and we look forward to his drawing us to him closer and closer. So the reason for our prayer is to direct our affections to him, to the one who holds our future in his hand. Church, we have a reason for our prayers Our prayers are meant to acknowledge our dependence upon God and to direct our affections, our affections toward him. As we pray, our heart condition, our heart condition is revealed. It is exposed to God, but as you pray, if you're praying alone or if you're praying with others, your heart condition is also exposed to yourself and to those whom you are praying with. And it's made available to God and to your brothers and sisters in Christ so that you can be formed and shaped more and more like God would want you to be. And next, we're going to look at what what is the heart of prayer? This is our second point that we're going to look at, the heart of prayer. And it's going to be verses 16 through 19, the heart of prayer. The heart of prayer is to be strengthened by the power of the Spirit. This is how Paul prays to the Father. He says in verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. You are to be strengthened in your inner being by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's all according to the riches of his glory. Just as we previously looked at, we acknowledge our dependence when we pray, and we direct our affections when we pray. But out of the Father's riches, the riches of his glory, we bring our petitions to him expectantly. And this makes sense. It makes sense. Just think about your own need. If you had need for some money, Would you go to someone who had no money and you knew they had no money? Would you say, I need some money? You might do so jokingly, like Joel might say to Matthew, hey, Matthew, I want a a million dollars. But we we don't go to someone with a need if we know that they can't meet that need. We go to the Father because 
He's abundantly rich, abundantly rich in his glory and in his grace. When you go to the Father in prayer to him, we do so because we acknowledge that his riches are sufficient to meet the needs that we bring before him. And I I love this petition of Paul's as it's recorded in verse 16. That the saints in Ephesus, this is who he's praying for, the saints in Ephesus would be strengthened with power through the Spirit in their inner being. As Americans, we tend to read Scripture and we always think, well, it's it's about me because we're very individualistic here. But he's praying for collectively the saints in their inner being as a body of believers that they would grow which is amazing to me. We know we're being built up as a temple for the Holy Spirit to dwell in. Oftentimes we think of that as an individual, but God is saying, no, it's, it's us as the church that's being built up. And he is wanting to do this work of filling us in power with his Holy Spirit out of the riches of his glory. And church, I know it can be easy for us to reach out and pray for the the tangible needs. It's easy to grab a hold of praying for the healing from sickness. It's easy to pray for those who are hurt that they might not suffer. It's easy to pray for the provision of a job because we see that. We know it's it's a need. We can grab a hold of it because we live in this material world and we understand it. We can pray that our crops might grow or that our children might be protected. But do you, like Paul, long to see your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ grown in their ability to receive power in the Holy Spirit, in their inner being? That was Paul's heart. That was his prayer. That's what we have recorded here. Do you pray this way? Your hearts reveal what is in your inner being. I'm sorry, your prayers reveal what is in your inner being. What is it you find there? What's on display? Paul doesn't stop. He continues pressing in. And in verse 17, we see how he's pressing in further. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is the type of prayer that reveals our affections for one another. This is the type of prayer that strengthens the bonds between us. This is that type of prayer. Just as Christ builds his church, we grow in our ability to pray. Church, our prayers are a window into our heart's affections. It's clear to me, should be clear to you, that Paul's affections were, were deep, that he loved the saints in Ephesus as he prayed for them. That comes across in this prayer, that there was a love and a care for these saints. Not only do we, do we see God and thank him for his glorious salvation, which is provided in Christ, But Christ is to dwell in our hearts. We are to be filled with him. And it is to impact the way we live all the time. Not what we foresee happening 
out in the future, once we pass away from this life, it's the inner heart. It's the inner being that matters. That's what Paul is praying for. That's what we ought to be praying for. Church, we don't want a veneer. We don't want a covering that's polished. Chip that away. Let's get rid of it. Chip it away. It's no good. We want hearts to be made new. We want our hearts collectively to be made new. To be strengthened by the Holy Spirit and to have Christ dwell within us. That's our desire. That's what we want. That's what Paul wanted for the saints in Ephesus. That's what we want together. Pray this way. Pray this way for me. Pray this way for your spouse. Pray this way for your children. Speak of it here in the congregation, how you are praying. And allow your hearts to be to be prayed for by opening up and letting others know where you are struggling to give up some strongholds, some hard spots, some areas that you know you should be trusting God, but you're not. You're still trusting yourself. Open yourself up to be prayed for in those areas. And then be prayed for fervently by those who love you here in the church. And it's going to be effective. It will bring us closer together. The heart of prayer is to be grounded in love as well. That's how this works. It's the heart of prayer is grounded in love. In the last part of verse 17, Paul writes that you being rooted and grounded in love. That you being rooted and grounded in love. In the Christian faith, we are to be known as having a firm foundation. A firm foundation. We are to be unshakable. Not because we've done everything in our power to build up our own defenses against adversity. That's not what makes us unshakable. Not at all. Our strength comes. Our strength comes from which is given to us through the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's Christ dwelling in us and him allowing us to stand firmly on his love. That's where our strength comes from, the love of Christ. That's our foundation. We are rooted in our inner being by Christ who dwells in us and by his love. We are rooted and grounded in love. Our foundation is love. That's our foundation. Love is what we stand firmly upon in the turmoil of a faltering world system. Just look around, and I think you'd agree with me that the, the world system that we see at work right now is faltering. What is the foundation of the world system? What is it currently? Don't you see it's an always shifting foundation? It's a shifting foundation. It's a, it's a chasing after a humanist secularism. 
It's not grounded because it's relativistic. It's always shifting. There's always something new we need to be changing towards. That's what our world system is being built upon. The Roman Empire, under which the early church was living, was just as relativistic, always shifting. One theologian I read said that Rome was threatened by Christians because Christians were viewed as rebels. Not because they worshipped Jesus, but because they worshipped Jesus as God. And they worshipped the personal, infinite God only. The worship of the one God only, Caesar could not tolerate. It was counted as treason. End quote from that theologian and his take on what the Christians were like in the time of Rome. But it's because of our foundation that we stand because of the foundation of the early Christians that they were able to stand against oppression. And throughout the ages, whenever a tyrannical leader has risen up and sought to squish and destroy the church, well, guess what's happened? The church has remained because it is built on the foundation of Christ and on Christ's love. And even though Christians throughout the ages have been killed for their beliefs, The church has not died because it belongs to Christ. The church has survived. The church is rooted and grounded in love. That's our firm foundation. The church is sustained by its head. The church is sustained by Christ. As we continue looking at what's at the heart of prayer... The heart of prayer is to know the love of Christ. In verses 18 and beginning the first part of 19, in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul writes that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Paul is praying for the recipients of his letter, believers, the recipients of this letter were believers, he's praying for them, to have strength to comprehend, strength to comprehend, because it does require strength to comprehend the love of Christ. So we need this strength. We need this strength that Paul was praying for. And this is our endeavor, along with the original readers of Paul's letter, We need to be strengthened in our inner being by the power of the Holy Spirit to have Christ dwell in us that we might comprehend, that we might know the great expanse of the love of Christ. Just think about your state prior prior to knowing Christ. Think about your state then. How, how lovable were you at that time? How lovable were you? What about this side of your conversion? Are you always pleasant to be around now? The answer is no. You were not lovable and you have remained hard-hearted. And you will still be difficult to be around at times. 
I'm answering this way because it's the plague of sin. It is the plague of sin. Sin rendered us dead, unable to please God. And sin still plagues us. It does. But God, in his expansive love for you, gave his son. He gave his son, Jesus Christ, the one that we claimed and know to be true, came as a, as a baby, born to the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless and perfect life, and gave that life up for us on the cross. He gave his life in exchange for yours. And God, when he received that atoning sacrifice of his son, took the righteousness of Christ and placed it upon you. The expansive love of God has been given to us so that we might have life. Jesus knows you because of this. He lived in the flesh that we carry around with us. He knows every thought, every action, everything done in secret, everything done in opposition to his goodness. And if you are in him, you still haven't been able to get away from his love. You can't ruin his love with your sinfulness. He's overcome that. Now take that thought, take that truth that I just mentioned, and realize that not only are you lovable by Christ, but he has given you, he's given you the ability to love like him. That's amazing. He loves us, and he's given us the ability to love like him. Church, this is what motivated Paul to write this letter. When we look back in Acts 17, verse 6, it's what motivated Paul and Silas when they were in the town of Thessalonica, and they were proclaiming the truth of the gospel there. And the, the men of that city said, they were very angry with Paul and Silas, that these men were turning the world upside down, that they were upending everything. What motivated them was the love of Christ, and it changed everything. It upends all that is not grounded in the truth when we live out of this place of love. And in the, in the depth of my soul, I want us to have this strength as a church. I want us to be bound together by the love of Christ so that we can be as God has designed us to be, world changers by the way we love, by the way we love each other, and by the way we're strengthened in this place to love our neighbors. Christ's love is expansive, and it surpasses knowledge. We need strength to understand Christ's love and yet we still know that his love surpasses knowledge. We're never going to find the end of it, ever. Also, as we look at the heart of prayer, is we want to be filled into the fullness of God. This is another thing that the heart, at the heart of prayer. In the last half of verse 19, says that you might be filled with the fullness of God. 
And I believe that by taking the, the deep dive exploration into the expanse of the breadth and height and length of the depth of everything about Christ's love, when we jump into that expanse, it leads us to being filled to the fullness of God. And this is a type of filling that doesn't cease. It doesn't cease because the source is God who has unending riches. He's abundantly capable of continuing to supply all that we need and to continuing to fill us. And this exploration into the expansiveness of God's love isn't meant to be a solo exploration. This exploration into the expanse of God's love is meant to be done in community. As believers, we bring more to this exploration when we do it together, when we open Bibles in community, when we gather around the word of God and study and pray and confess and change, we grow. We explore together what it means to love as Christ's love. It's a together, a together that we do this. Our efforts are magnified when we are together. We are enhanced by one another as a community of faithful believers loving Christ together. This is the heart of prayer. It's a, it's a development of our hearts. The heart of prayer is changing our inner being when we give ourselves over to prayer. The working out of this heart of prayer produces a glorious outcome. That's the outcome of prayer, and that's our last point that we're going to cover today is the outcome of prayer, verses 20 and 21. The first part of the outcome of prayer is to praise God. Look at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we think, all that we ask or think. When we pray in the manner that Paul was praying, we cannot help but give ourselves over to praising God. He is worthy of all praise. Do you see how helpful it is to your soul to pray in such a manner that it naturally leads to stating that he is even more capable of answering your prayers than you even thought? He's even more capable of doing things that were even beyond your thought to ask of him. When we pray together in community, we hear exaltations of what God is doing. I love hearing the exaltations of God. It's a, it's a felt goodness that we get a share in. We get to hear about his personable attributes and how we get to share in the attributes of God as we pray together. And yet, his love is unfathomable, is expansive, and we, we celebrate that this week especially, in the, in the week of Christmas, that God would love us so much that he would give his son for us. This is a good opportunity for us as families this week as we are celebrating Christmas to gather around, to take our families and to talk about the expansiveness of God's love that he would send his son to become incarnate, to become flesh and to live among us. It's a good opportunity to, to talk to your children about what it means to have Christ be born of a virgin, that that would be part of the Christmas story. It would allow your family to take 
your roots and dig them deeper down into the soil of your faith in Christ and to ground yourselves more solidly in love. And just as a primer to get the conversation started, you could ask the kids, why does the calendar get split the way that it does? Why is there a BC and an AD? Why does all the world systems that we know today still point to Christ? It's a good opportunity to dig in as a family and to see what is the most stable source of all, and it is Christ. That's an outcome of prayer, that we'd praise God. Another outcome of God is that we would glorify Christ. Picking up in verse 20, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ. As we look at that, we see that he works within us. But once again, here is is power. The power that Paul prayed about earlier would be in the believers. Here is that same power, the same source at work. It's at work within us. We have nothing without the power of Christ. We have nothing without the power of the Holy Spirit which Christ gives to us. We have nothing. One commentary I was reading said that if, if the Holy Spirit was removed in a stable time church like I talked about earlier, most of the world wouldn't even notice a difference. Meaning, what he was saying was, we tend to work without the power of the Holy Spirit. But that's not how we're meant to work. That's not how we're meant to be. We are meant to bring glory to God in the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we try to do so without the Holy Spirit, we're shallow. We're not very deep. We don't bring much to the world in the way of change. The type of glory that God wants begins in the inner person. It relies not on outward adornment. It relies on a changed heart. It is the beauty of being completely indwelt by Christ, filled unto the fullness of God. And that gives us hope. Being filled with Christ brings glory to Christ's church. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, Verse 16, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is the outcome of prayer. And we continue as we look at the outcome of prayer that we'd also live out in our eternal state right now, that we would live it out. This is an outcome of prayer. The very last part of verse 21 speaks to this. Throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. This is how we're to live. Throughout all generations, forever and ever, 
Let it be so. Amen. This is what it comes down to, my friends, that we live for Christ now in our eternal state, that we live as Christ has died for us to live. That's how we're to live, as Christ died for us to live. We live in and through him. We love as he loved because we have been loved by him. We love one another. We readily seek forgiveness and we readily grant forgiveness. We live in harmony with one another. Even though we live starkly different from the world, we live harmony in harmony together as the body of Christ. For we are not of this world. I know this to be true. Our king said it. Our savior stood before Pilate saying, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. That's from John 18. Paul, or Christ said it. My kingdom is not of this world. We are not of this world. This is our king that said this. And when we follow him, we ought to follow him in the way he prayed. We ought to follow in the way his apostle Paul prayed. And we cannot contain that we live now and for the rest of eternity because of the life he's granted to us. We are rooted and grounded in love. This is what we see in Paul's prayer and in the doxology we've just covered in these last two verses. Paul prayed for a grounding. We want to be grounded similarly in the love of Christ. We need to be grounded in the love of Christ. For our current time is very unstable. The foundation of the world is trying to say, the foundation that the world is trying to say is available to us to ground our lives upon is always shifting. It's shifting. Make sure you, you hear what I'm saying next, that I, I am grateful. I'm grateful for the common grace of medicine and for vaccinations that are available to protect us from devastating diseases. I am grateful. God has given us gifts. And the current vaccine that's in the news is a modern medical miracle that has come about within a year's time of the pandemic hitting our shores. However, another virus will come. Another disaster will be confronted. Something else will come and undo us. That is a given. That is because, as we've already seen in Ephesians, the prince in the power of the air is present, and he is at work sowing discord all through the land, all through the world, doing anything that he can to get people to destroy themselves in manifold ways. 
Therefore, I will not put my hope in anything that is less than the Son of God. He is the rock in which I stand. It is upon the foundation of Christ's love that I know that I can stand firm and wage battle, spiritual battle against the enemy. If you are attempting to stand and find it to be exhausting to do so, if you are exhausted, ask yourself, where is your foundation? Ask yourself, where is my foundation? Have I allowed myself to to slip into thinking that this faltering world system will carry me along to a peaceful end? If the answer is yes, then you are in a dangerous place. John says, don't let the love of the world or the things in the world, do not love the world or, or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. This is where the inner being, this is where the heart investigation that I spoke of in the beginning of the sermon must take place. What is coming out of that place in the center of who you are? What is coming out? What does it reveal? One place to look at what is inside your heart is your speech. You can look back to Matthew 15, 18, or read James chapter 3. What we know from God's word is that speech is a window directly into our hearts. What words are you speaking? Are they loving words? Are they conveyed in a loving way? Another area would be the face. In this past year, we have largely ceased to see the face. It has gone away. The image of God has been covered. But when it's uncovered, it is another one of those windows into what's going on in our inner being. Our faces are very expressive. It shows wonderfully what our heart condition is, our countenance shows what's going on in our hearts. It's a visual representation of what's happening on the inside. So this is another place to look at what's going on in the inner being. What does your face show? We are also a people that are designed for touch. God has designed us to touch one another, for loving embrace. What does your embrace show when you embrace another person? What is, it, what is it sharing about your heart? Your holding of your children expresses love to them. It expresses your inner being. What's being expressed to your children as you hold them close to you? The kisses shared between a husband and wife tell a story of what's happening in the heart. Yet another window into the inner being. What is being revealed? Investigating the heart 
can uncover areas of instability, areas that are not rooted and grounded in love. So we have to look there and find what we can find because we live out what is in our heart. And I've only mentioned a few windows into the heart here. You might think of others. But let me ask, how is your heart? How's your heart? Is it filled with the completeness of God? And is it gushing out the love of Christ to others? Is that what's in your heart? If not, confess where those hard-hearted spots are so we can remove them, so we can be more complete in our love for one another. For hard-heartedness, hard-heartedness is a place of instability. It's not a foundation we can build our lives upon. Repent of that. Repent of that which you've held up as a false foundation, for it will not hold you up. In contrast, what we have seen today, beloved, is that the will of God is to love, to love us and to allow us to love others. Our foundation, church, is love. Love is what we stand firmly on in, a, in the turmoil of a faltering world system. And we are being built together as a body of Christ in order to love. It's a love that we've been given out of the riches of the Father's glory. Riches that never end. Therefore, dear saints, don't hold back your love. The source will never run dry. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have shown us, we know it to be true, and yet we need your help to see it happen more fully. Your love abounds. Your love abounds. Your love abounds. You've given us Christ as, as our Savior. What a, a loving, tremendous loving act that we can't fully comprehend. That in our sinfulness and our deadness, you made such a sacrifice for us. We ask that you would infuse within us by the power of your Holy Spirit the ability to love, to love as Christ loved, that we would love in our homes between husbands and wives, that you would make us more and more as you designed us to be in that covenant relationship, that as parents, that we would love our children, that, they, that we would ex expose them to what it means to be loved unconditionally, and that we would point that to Christ, who has loved us unconditionally. That as families joining together as a church, that you would allow us to love deeply, that we would know one another, that we would pray fervently for you to do a work on the inside of who we are, our inner being, that we'd be filled more and more with the Spirit, that our foundation would be love. This is our desire, God. We want to be built up in this way so that we can reach out to our neighbors. And when I say neighbors, I don't mean just the person who lives next to us, but the neighbors that you have said are in our lives, just as you did when you gave the parable of the Good Samaritan. Those who have a need, 
that we wouldn't walk by them, that we would meet them where they are and meet their needs because we love as you have loved. Fill us in this way. Change our hearts so that we can be the conduit of love you've designed us to be. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Pillar Bible Fellowship. Please email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org.